0: Could gambling and sportsbooks be the next big thing in pro bass fishing? How forking good was the Lake Fork Tournament, the third biggest bag in Bassmaster history? And right from the screen of knowledge, hanging up the cardigan of confidence, the stat rat himself, Ronnie Moore, and as if that wasn't enough, we bring in Street. J-O, whatever you want to call him, James Overstreet, join us with all sorts of tomfoolery on this episode of I'm Bob Cobb from the Bassmaster. Welcome to Mercer. I want to welcome each and every one of you back to Mercer. I am Dave Mercer and that's how little creativity we have at this show. That's actually the name of the freaking show. So, I mean, i am let you remember things. It is April 28th, which, of course, is National Blueberry Pie Day, National Bravehearts Day, National Great Poetry Reading Day, National Superhero Day, and Denim Day. I mean, all great things. You celebrate whichever you want. But this past week, man, what a freak freaking week. I mean, obviously two sports that I'm obsessed with. MMA, probably one of the craziest cards ever. I mean, if you didn't, uh, every one of those fights w- was shocking. Um, it was awesome. But more shocking than all of that, what a forking tournament we had on Lake Fork. I mean, absolutely. I mean, it, 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 it. No, Well, maybe some have, but not very many. What Lee Livesey did on the final day of the tournament, the third biggest bag in Bassmaster history, um, that just that tournament was phenomenal. I mean, never mind it, just the weights, everything, you know, all that aside, but they were catching them on top waters. I mean, nine pounders on top waters, it was literally, I've used the analogy a lot, it was like watching the freaking. Great Whites attack little baby seals. Yeah, everyone's seen that video. That's what it was like watching Lee Livesey on Championship Sunday. Two Century Belts achieved uh, an incredible tournament. I mean, a a weird one for me because I was not there. Um, The first one in over a decade to not be there. Um, So I got a really good opportunity to cover it online and... um, kind of just cover it like all you guys do and I will say this I mean Bass does a freaking phenomenal job I mean I would get up in the morning and turn on live and literally cover the entire event until the end of the way and and see everything and it just blows me away at just how you forget when you work the events you just forget how much coverage has come I mean before I worked for Bass I mean just in the time I've worked for Bass uh, that was not an option I mean the the closest thing I remember when I started um, I remember Ray Scott was super cool and when I first started and and still is to this day Um, and obviously I have a lot of respect for the history of this sport Bob Cobb Ray Scott all of that but one of the things Ray said to me said you know you're gig as a announcer is more difficult than anybody that's done it and I was like how can you say that I mean you are the chicken that laid the egg and he made a really good point he said because you're the first one that will have everything streamed and and that just shows how far things have come I mean I'm Keith Allen, who emceed before me and Fish Fishburn, it was just little snippets. It was very rarely like, go online and try find a full weigh-in. I mean, and now every moment of our weigh-in is streamed. Every, from take, before takeoff till after takeoff is streamed. And then there's a million different independent things, wrap-up shows and that sort of thing. So it really is cool for a sport to see... It from that end of things, but I don't. I don't want to see it anymore. To be honest, I like being at the events. Um, I missed all the anglers. I mi- I think I got kind of like a weird little, tiny glimpse of what it's like when athletes retire. You know that feeling that I felt this weekend was like that. Um, if you think of you know pro hockey players or baseball players, they're part of something. They're on the inside. The you know they can go backstage and then all of a sudden one day they can't and i don't think anybody feels that pain but them and that's kind of what i felt like this weekend not being there you know not being on the inside track and then with lee winning and you know so many guys in the mix that that that, that i just have such great relationships with and um i hated not being there but um it's not something i plan to do a lot in the future but it was a unique perspective and i'm thankful for freaking technology because normally i mean you can't be there it's over um i spent i think in total six seven hours of the event hosting live um which was cool which was fun i got to you know work with Davey as always and got to work with ronnie a little bit more and uh, you know it, it was uh it was a great event but i mean that that to me is here's the other thing it was the right of and to be home for as much as it killed me I mean it was also no better way to pass time than that like I mean there was not a bass fishing fan in the world that wasn't obsessed with watching that and just seeing every bit of it you know the excitement around it I was hearing from anglers from all different leagues and everything everybody I mean when they start catching 30 and 40 pound bags and they're catching them on top water. It's phenomenal. Um, so yeah, that that was cool. Um, but you know, it got me thinking because if you really look at a lot of sports and a lot of the growth out there, you know, you look at things like fan duel or DraftKings or stuff like that. And, and I really wanted to pose this question to you guys. Is the next step, because if you look at how much fantasy fishing has to do with bass's success it's incredible i mean the amount of of times that just the the amount of it excitement that it brings to the sport i mean people love having skin in the game and and i know in fantasy fishing it's not a financial skin but it's you you it's almost worse i mean you if anybody's played fantasy football it's a 12 person league in fantasy football and nobody else besides from you and those 11 other people give a crap about your league it doesn't mean anything to anybody but it has ruined a lot of Mondays around my house (laughs) Um, so it almost is more than the skin in the game you know what I mean it's your your name your whatever Um, but people like that so so my question to you guys this week is is that the next step for fishing? Like FanDuel or DraftKings or somebody like that. I mean, how awesome would it be to have them in there? And that, how how much money would you have made? Would you have bet on Lee Livesey this Sunday? You know, would you have thought that that third biggest bag in Bassmaster history, you know, how many nine-pounders, eight-pounders, seven-pounders would we see in this tournament? Uh, um, is that good or is bad? Let me know. I mean, I'd love to know people's opinions um because uh, i mean to me it just seems like it's one of the next big steps when you see how fishing grows and and really let's be honest everything grows from one direction and that is not the band one direction everything grows from one direction that's financial you know you get more money involved and things grow um anglers payback grow everything grows and and if you look at every single sport as soon as a fan duel, a DraftKings, somebody like that gets involved. All of a sudden, whoa, that sport starts skewing up because people have a vested interest in it. They want to learn more about the anglers. They want to learn more about the lakes. They want to learn more about, I mean, obviously in football, it's about players. It's about conditions. It's about everything. Well, it's the same in fishing. They want to learn more about the anglers. They want to learn more about the lakes. They want to learn more about the conditions. And they become more educated, more obsessed with it, more statistically based. And it just it, it seems to take the sport to a whole new realm. So my question to you guys this week, is that the next step? Or is that the worst thing ever? And if you're from FanDuel or, or DraftKings or anything like that, I mean, you just go right ahead and sponsor this crappy podcast because, I mean, that would make this a lot better, too. But speaking of stats, I'm going to bring in our first guest this week, and he is the Stat Rat. I mean, you see him behind the screen of knowledge this week. He had the cardigan of confidence, and I bring in to you with some stats. I don't need to tell you how great this event has been. The Stat Rat himself, Roddy Moore. Ronnie, I I mean, I've said it a million times. This past weekend was historic. I mean, I can continuously say that, but you are the stat guy. Make it rain some stats for me. How good was this weekend?
1: Well, it truly was good, not only for Lake Fork standards, but for the Elite Series history, just Bassmaster history, it really was historic. But for 2021, St. John's really set the mark with 26 pounds, seven ounces from Brian New. that final day bag for him, that comeback, that set the tone for the season in all all honesty. And that was the biggest single day bag of the season. Well, it's no longer the biggest single day bag. It is now the 12th biggest bag because 11 anglers caught bigger bags than 26 pounds, seven ounces at fork, which is absurd. That's over a five pound average. That's honestly, Uh, bigger than my personal best bag by far. And they just kept pouring them on at Fork. So 11 anglers broke 26-7. We had 74 bags over 20 pounds at Lake Fork over four days of competition. And that's what's incredible. 99 anglers on day one, 99 on day two, only 49 and then 10. So it's not like it's 100 for four straight days. We're losing anglers every day and the 20 pound bags really didn't drop off percentage wise the top 10 all averaged over 20 pounds, which we we take for granted on some of these big bass places. We're like, man, of course they should hit 80 pounds. But after seven days of fishing, some of these areas have been beat down. Spawning fish have already pulled up, spawned, left, and another wave's coming in. A lot has changed. Weather changed. So the fact that 10th place at least hit 80 pounds and the top was as high as they were, that's incredible. And when it comes down to it, Bill Owen, hey, kudos to him. It took him a long time to win an Elite Series title. We're, we were all stoked for it. And he had the biggest uh, four-day weight uh, for an Elite Series this year, 83-5 at Pickwick. That was the biggest weight. Well, eight of our top ten broke 83-5 at Fork. And, obviously, a lot of different factors can be had. Crazy weather at Pickwick, but Pickwick has them. And we can only compare what happens out on the water. So, eight anglers breaking that 83-pound mark was impressive. So a lot of records are going to be rewrote, rewritten for this season from fork, the top four. And, and we want to compare it to the Falcons and the other fork events, the Rayburns, things like that, the Okeechobee's, a lot of those big vast lakes, you can't compare them to other lakes. So Ronnie don't do that. 2021 is totally different until we get to fork. Well, I'm not going, I'll compare it to straight up. Great comparison 2019 at fork when Brandon Cobb won with 114. about a week or so later than where we at, where we were at fork this year. And it was very similar. So it lived up to the hype as well. Broke 97 pounds. Whereas in 2019, only two anglers did that and they both happened to break the century mark. We also had two break the century mark this year as well but we had two other guys so close to breaking that. Basically half of a solid keeper away from doing so. The top five anglers all broke 90 pounds this year compared to eight breaking 90. We had a really stacked 90 to 95 in 2019, but a lot of anglers broke 95 this year. And so it's pretty crazy when you compare that. And we're talking about big bass. Uh, we didn't get a double digit, and everybody's kind of disappointed. I want to see a 10-pounder get caught, but we had a 913, which was the big bass. Last fall, Seth Fighter caught a 9 which was the big bass. And we're always comparing it to Brandon Cobb's 11-1, which was just, it's normal for fork, but it's also an anomaly for tournament fishing. So there were 11 bass from eight to nine pounds. And then there were an additional four more over nine pounds. And we were blessed with two of those nines coming on Fox Sports 1. It was truly incredible.
0: Yeah, I mean, it it, it was the greatest opening, but I mean – I don't remember, honestly, in the time I've worked for Bass, if there was an event that, that captivated the entire bass fishing world. Like if you are into bass
1: fishing, you were watching it that day. And I am so nervous. I love when things happen that never happen. And so the Century Club is something that maybe happened last year. It happened two years in a row, but it's still something that's so coveted and cherished. Smallmouth, and we've been close before. And so this year, breaking the Century Mark with two more anglers, Walter's doing it, Livesey doing it as well. Livesey didn't only go, jump in there, but he jumped into the 16th place all time. Biggest century club records. You think of Paul Elias as 132 pounds, that record. A lot of records were broken in 2008 at Falcon, but we obviously have some jump up there and, and mess with the top 20 list. And Livesey did that five ounces. To compare that relatively, it beat... Falcon's 2013 top weight of Keith Combs by one pound. Keith Combs had 111 pounds, five ounces at Falcon when he won. Fork produced 112.5 this year. Um, Like I said, Livesey, the 16th largest century club weight. Um, It only missed Cobb's weight at 2019 at Fork by one pound, 11 ounces, which is roughly the difference between those two anglers and their biggest bass of the week. Cobb had an 11-1. Livesey's biggest bass was only 9-2. So that difference and that gap between their largest fish of their 20 fish was really the difference in like having the same exact winning weight from 2019 to this year. Um, And then when you look at it, Walters jumped in and joined the century club last fall. And he's the only ninth angler in Bassmaster history to have more than one century club belt. Nine anglers all time have done that. Um, The Century Clubs happened 46 times by only 32 anglers. So those nine anglers have done it a combined 14 times between them, which is cool. Um, Mind-blowing, to be honest, that when we compare it to, like, Falcon in 08, that all 12 anglers at Falcon broke 100. We thought it was silly. Hey, Walters, you had 102 pounds, and you caught 31 on the final day, and no one cares. Just imagine being Rick Morrison. Falcon in 2008 when he had a hundred plus pounds and nobody cared about that either. And uh, honestly, the last thing is in the top 20 list all time of century clubs, Fork owns two. Now clear Lake has two Amistad, Kissimmee and Santee all have one represented. And then Falcon has 13, 12 of those from one event. So fork is up there. And, and honestly, the only difference in Fork and Falcon or Fork and Amistad or any of those, it's so much smaller. So the fact yeah. that it can do it is incredible.
0: And it gets 10 to, would you look at where, just, just look on a map where Falcon's located Nearly. versus where, I mean, Fork is jammed with anglers every single day. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Um, I mean, I just hope we go there every single freaking day. I mean, it's hard to believe we went
1: from orange to there. Exactly, and that's the crazy thing was uh, Jason Christie's four-day weight at the Sabine was 43-15, and Lee Livesey had 42-3 on the final day at Fork. So he, his five fish at Fork on the final day almost ate all 20 of Christie's winning fish at Sabine, and I think also uh, the entire top 10 or something like that going into Fork was bigger than Gussie's four-day wait in Knoxville. So that's incredible. Just thinking about some of those things, that 10 anglers the winning weight of an Elite Series event this year. Incredible. Ronnie, thank you very much.
0: And that right there is the stat rat, Ronnie Moore. I mean, the dude went to school for this. I mean, he went to school. I think yeah. journalism and statistics you tell i didn't go to school statistician statistician either does your nails or does your stats but ronnie moore and Such, i mean they do a great job of tabulating all that stuff on bass live and uh, i have a lot of fun with them but man he knows his freaking stats and those stats right there give you kind of an idea of just how phenomenal this event was and you know this silly little show i mean we can't offer much I mean, all we can offer is week after week, we'll be here every Wednesday, putting a little hump in your hump day, and we'll give you a behind-the-scenes look at things on on the road, on the tour, you know, and the problem with that is when I don't go to an event, I can't very well give you a behind-the-scenes look, so I decided to give you a behind-the-scenes look through this next guy, our next guest, who, if you're ever wondering, you know, who I spend most of my time with on the road. I mean, this is my bro. This is 9 out of 10 dinners. I'm eating with this guy. Um, checked on me every day this week. I mean, did super cool one morning. the I think it was the first morning of the event. I At home, bummed. You know, I'm not there. I get it. Big picture things are all good and everything. But you're still bummed not to be there. And I get a selfie from this next guy and Rick Klun. I mean, it made my absolute morning. It was pretty cool. I mean, I got a selfie from Rick Klun. Um, And I'm going to bring in our next guest. I mean, he is uh, not only my road buddy, not only a guy that, uh, you know, is one of my closest friends on this entire planet, but one of the most talented photographers in the world. Not just outdoors but but literally in the world in my opinion i mean you can put his work up against anybody's and i think we in the outdoor world fishing world are lucky that he loves what we do and we're lucky to have him as part of the sport and uh we're lucky to have him this week as part of the podcast so let's go ahead and bring him in let's bring in street james overstreet james overstreet what in the hell just just happened at lake fork
2: cheers that's probably what patrick walkers is thinking right now cheers to you some i'm having some good unsweet tea dave it's really good cold. Oh,
0: yeah it looks good it looks good yeah imagine what he's thinking dude you weighed in 31 pounds Well, know right final day got another century belt and nobody's <laughs> talking about you he is gets-
2: Man, I mean, I've always thought that – well, even less than that, I always thought that, oh, dude, as I, I'll see it in the results every now and then in some random tournament. Usually down in Texas where they have all these big weights, big people weighing like 32 pounds and, you know, just like Patrick weighs 30 or whatever plus pounds and gets covered up. I mean, that's got to piss you off, right? I, I mean, does it make you mad? I, I want to know, does it make you mad that you – I mean, like, what I got to do kind of – it like hey man <laughs> so i don't know i don't have to think about that i'd be I, pissed in a way but i'd also have big kind of respect for the guy that whooped me with 30 pounds right
0: i talked to him earlier today and he he kind of i think he's there he just kind of was mm-hmm. like man. he said he knew it was kind of happening like throughout that he said that you know, and he's catching them. And he said, I'd like seven boats watching me. And then Sago pulled up and I'm thinking, yeah. And then he said, one by one, everybody just left. And then yeah. he said, he said, the real humiliating point was when he, the end of the day, I guess he went into the same area that Lee was fishing and as Patrick's and Patrick's got 31 in the boat. And he, all he hears is all these people cheering Lee and said, you did it, man. You did it. And when they, <laughs> then when they pulled up to the dock, he said, He said i looked at lee and i said uh you get him and lee was like yep and he said you get 30 (laughs) he said yep 35 (laughs) he said up and he said 40 and he couldn't believe it but i think when you get beat like that but i mean you tell me what was the vibe at that event like
2: well you were you were just talking about a little scenario i happened to be on the up there when when they all pulled in because You know, Lee's coming in with an over, and Patrick's coming in with an over, and so I'm just down there doing my deal, you know, before the weigh-in starts, shooting some stuff in the boats with those guys. And when Patrick pulls up, you know, you see him look over at Lee, and that whole thing kind of goes down, and Patrick kind of goes, oh, wow, really? (laughs) You know, I mean, I think he knew Lee had them big, but, I mean, I don't think you ever think 40 pounds big. You think 30 maybe, like on the Fork or on these big bass lakes. But, man, 40 just doesn't happen. You know, you're talking about the third largest sack of fish ever waiting in the Bassmaster tournament. So, that doesn't happen. And if that's what it takes to beat you, then i say you're still hard to beat. You, <laughs> Patrick had a hell of a tournament.
0: <clears throat> were you at Were you at Falcon when Scroggins weighed the 44-4? Were you at that tournament?
2: Yeah, yeah I was at that one
0: but I feel like it and, probably uh, didn't stick out as much because so many guys caught him that time around.
2: Well, I think it stuck out in the, it did. I remember it sticking out quite a bit because, you know, people were weighing in high thirties and even 40 pounds with five. And, um, uh, from the first day on at that deal, but anytime, you know, like we were thinking maybe, you know, can you break Rojas's record here? If somebody can, somebody, you know, get in a place and have it to themselves and do it. And, uh, so from that standpoint you know we're hearing that scroggins is close you know we know he's close he's 44 what was it? 44 12 something like 44 that. 4 44 4 so i mean he's breathing on it man and uh but just didn't quite get there so it shows you how hard it is you know i mean that's <laughs> it's a nine pound average you got to get to to have the, the heaviest i mean most people want to get to one nine pounder <laughs> and they're and they're fishing live. You got, you got to catch five in one day. I mean, think about it. You know what I mean? It's, it's not. It doesn't happen.
0: No. No, it doesn't happen. It, but that's what I
2: makes- I wonder how many people has it happened. How many people have caught 40 pounds? Pros and everybody. How, how many people their best five have been 40 pounds in their life? And on any random day of fishing. I mean, can you go out and catch five, eight pounders? On, I mean, have you done that? Has anybody done I mean, I don't think that many people catch 40 pounds in their life.
0: No, I think a lot of people have caught 30s, you know, a lot of tournament, you know, I'm not talking about any tournament, but I think, but but when you talk 40s, that's, I don't know anyone that's done that. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, you think of how long both me and you have worked for bass and yeah. We've been lucky that they you know, you've been there for both of them, but in our time there's been two over four you, you know what I mean in that class. Like it really it doesn't um I, I always wonder what what do you think Rojas was doing this way, probably pacing back and forth hoping don't don't he was the <laughs> only dude hoping it wasn't getting to get beaten.
2: I don't know, man. I know Dean pretty good. i I'm, I'm i was good friends with Dean. I've been for years and I mean, you know, man, no, he don't want nobody breaking his record. I'm sure. I mean, there's no doubt he don't want nobody breaking it. So I'm, bet I don't know. You know, I'm sure he was hoping it wouldn't happen.
0: So D- D- Dean did it in Florida. Yeah, Scroggins, yeah, you know, and Dean's from you know Havasu, and Scroggins is from Florida, and he did it in in Texas. But Lee yeah. to do it in front of his hometown crowd. I mean, what what was the – what was gotta, it like?
2: I got to tell you this. To me, uh, and nothing against anybody catching 40-plus pounds anywhere, but I'd like to catch it on Lake Fork, especially it's busy and it's heavily – you should have seen all the boats. I mean, it spawned – it's full moon in April on Lake Fork. You know how many people are bombing that lake. And, uh, and a lot of good fishermen out there, you know. So, for you to be able to, to do that. And, and, you know, Lake Force not that big, man. It's not like Braeburn and Toledo Ben and all. I mean, it's, what, 23,000, 24,000 acres. It's not that big. So, it's just hard to do, man. And it's that much more impressive that he did it on the lake. It's fish so hard and a uh, smaller lake and get some ton of pressure, you know. I mean, when you do it. We never been to Falcon with the elite. I'd, yeah. I'd only heard just a bit about Falcon. I mean, it was just such a well kept, nobody went down there hardly, you know, back in the 80s and 90s when it, I, I heard about it one time back in the late 90s, maybe that it was, you know, that it even was there. So I had a buddy that went down there fishing kind of team tournament, came back, talking about how he got all his tackle tore up down there in the damn trees. <laughs> but, but that's all I knew about it. So when we win, it was just, you know nobody really knew. And now I went down there and tracked fish, and I figured out pretty quick that that place it had them. Man, it was crazy. Bro. Yeah, anyway, pretty impressive as heck, man. I mean, Lee to do that at home, especially after he missed a cut the last time we were there. That had it had to feel really good for him. He's a good dude, and I'm proud to see him have that bit of redemption there.
0: Yeah, no, it was uh it was and and just like that. I mean, uh he joins the Mount Rushmore of Lake Fork. You know what I mean? Like really, you look at I mean, my phone was blowing up throughout the day from Kelly Jordan, another guy who's on the Mount Rushmore of Lake Fork, you know? You no. think about it, him, the late Mark Pack, you know, they, yeah. like but it, but there's something about those dudes like when you watch them compete, don't you think like Lake Fork almost Like, I kept saying on live that, and I know that Ronnie and even Zona at times kind of scoffed at me where I was like, hey, he hasn't won it yet. You know what I mean? In the morning when they were like, oh, it's over, it's over. I'm like, he's one fish away from winning it. And Lee kept saying that too because he fishes there. I mean, I don't think the 40 sack seemed as oddball to him that it seemed to everybody else. But but that's kind of when you think of pack and you think of – kelly and you think of lee they all kind of got that you know and and and, in in some ways that might be bad for them in some ways it's really good for them you know depending on the fishery but i mean i i know i how many times you see kelly jordan you know weighs 29 pounds one day and will just not play small ball the next day you know he will just and lee's very much that way do you think it's that lake that makes them that way
2: I think they're just used to swinging big all the time. That's how they grew up fishing. That's how they fish every day. I mean, you know, Lee's still guiding a lot. And, yeah. You know, he's trying to put his clients on big, they want big fish, you know, and he's got to still finding big fish for clients. So he happened to find himself five really good ones there, Dave. But, you know, he, um, I think their their mentality is a little bit different. I mean, I've been asked a lot of times why Kelly, you know, Kelly Jordan's got the most had the most big bass for, I guess, still does in Bassmaster history.
0: In every circuit. Yeah, he every has place most he most fishes, yeah. he's the most big bass titles from Bass, from FLW, and now evidently from MLF. So every circuit, he is the big bass guy.
2: Yeah, and and you know, and you and I are both really good friends with KJ. And, and we've talked a lot, spent a lot of time together over the years. And i ask him, man, why are you thinking? And he says, well, I'm not really. Big fish don't intimidate me like they might some other people. Because I've caught a lot of them, you know. Because, dude, you know how it is. You hang a really big one, man, and you had not had a lot of that happen to you. It, it, it'll kind of freak you out, you know. I mean, I think you can you can do things and fight a fish a way that you would never do, you know. yeah. I mean, I've done it myself, man. I mean, I've sat down and I mean, are right, you got a big fish on the bed. I just think they're not scared to take those fish on, man. I mean, they're like 10-pounder. I've done this before, and I've done it a lot. And most people just had not done it. It's an experience thing, I think, and that's just how they're wired because they've, they've caught so many big fish that they're like, that's why I'm here is to catch big ones, and that's what I'm going to try to do.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and if you think I th- I, when you're saying that, I keep thinking about all the times I saw Lee like playing him at the side of the boat. You know what I mean? Talking about the parabolic rod and everything, and I'm just like, "What are you doing?" But it's, but it is, it is almost like watching, you know, one of the northern guys play a smallmouth versus a yeah. guy from down. It, you're just used to it.
2: Well, the first thing a lot of people think when they hang a big fish is, "Oh God, I don't want to lose him." Or how many ways can? Or oh, don't do that. Don't- I just – I really do think it's just you got to get used to fighting those big fish, you know, the way yeah. they pull and as strong as they are, you, you know, and I think those guys have just had a lot more experience with how that goes down. I mean, you see a big fish jump and that thing kind of blow your mind. <laughs> but a 10-pounder comes up, you know, he don't look like nothing else. You know, people say, oh, I caught a 10 or – a 10-pounder don't look like – it looks like a seven-foot man when you're walking into Walmart. If you see a seven-foot man, you know he's seven feet. You don't have to guess. And say, is that somebody seven feet? No, he ain't seven feet. Same with a 10-pounder. He just built different.
0: It's a whole different creature. And that's, got- <laughs> that's what made it so cool, too, that he caught them all on top water. I mean, I'm like – All right. I mean, dude, it reminded me literally of the video. Like, we've all seen the Nat Geo videos where the – Freaking great white starts eating the baby seals and everything. That's what it was like. I mean, all of a sudden, all the other top water hits that we got excited about in the past just don't mean as much.
2: Yeah, and man, they hit it. They ate it good too. I mean, you would see those. I mean, he had them pinned with both sets of front and back hooks, top and bottom, a lot of times in their mouth where they're just open mouth coming at him. You know, the whole way. You know, and. I tell you, did you notice how many fish we had that were hooked really weird, man? I I don't know that I ever remember so many fish being foul hooked in a tournament as we had over there. I don't. Why do you think that is? I mean, like I they're think, swiping at the bait. Of where, I don't know what was going on with that.
0: I think time of year. You know what I mean? Like they're not yeah. really eating it. You know, those yeah. fish, those fish. And I think that's why they continued to push too. Like when you – traditionally when that weather comes in like it did those fish should have like it should have really pushed things back but i just think that those fish have been repressed and repressed like they've been trying to spawn for the last several months and right. just thing after thing and, and now it's to the point that like it's the end of the night mm-hmm. at the bar i mean it's gonna happen whether <laughs> one way or another this is gonna happen so whether- no matter
2: how ugly it's gonna get it's gonna have to happen <laughs> yeah i know and you know they're kind of doing that at home here you know i fished last week and that cold front came in and there, there should have been fish up everywhere but it, you know it's kind of the same deal the nights have been cold in the south down here in the southwest yeah but, uh, and i <clears throat> i'd like to be down there this week though Bro, wow. <laughs> you know the weather's kind of stabilized here so and it started to stabilize. Yeah, I, because I thought it would be big the last day because the weather was finally getting stable. Yeah. The night stayed warm. They didn't have a lot of wind, and I figured somebody's going or more than it was going to be the biggest day because it was really the best day to fish. You know, the cold front was kind of on the front end of the tournament, and then it, we had a warming trend that slowly made the fishing better for especially <laughs> building into that last day, and they just hit it right.
0: And that full moon, that full oh, moon. Yeah. like.
2: Yeah, the hey, pink there, full moon. That's right. A, was it a pink full moon? That's what they called it. I didn't see no pink, but they called it pink.
0: I don't know. I don't hey, what one, one of the things we got talking about on live, and, and I don't have an answer for it, but when you really think about fork, you look at techniques like the Sanko, uh the big jigging spoon, you know, the flutter, big giant flutter spoons, the um long lining. Strolling, you know, all those techniques Mm -hmm. came from Fork. Why do you think so much comes from Fork?
2: I think it's kind of like, you know, the Japanese bring a lot of techniques over here just because they're, I think it's because it's a necessity that you come up with new techniques and things just out of pure fishing pressure on them. You got to show them something different. And, you know, different techniques are developed, different baits that sort of thing. You know, all that finesse fishing over in Japan, you hear Taco Ito talk about, you know, how you fish that bridge, for instance, over at the Sabine. That's a totally different technique, man. I mean, nobody fishes that freaking slow here. I mean, I, I don't know how you fish that slow, but that's what it took, you know. And once again, you know, the I've always said this about elite guys. From having camera boat drivers over the years, when I would have one, usually be a local guide or somebody like that. But even those guides will learn how to. Most of the time, they tell you by the end of that deal that hey, they learned a different way to fish the like they've been fishing their entire life. And
0: yeah,
2: I, born out of necessity, you got to come out of, up with something new, man. I mean, they're looking at the same stuff every day, and I guess that's a lot of it.
0: Yeah, no, I I'd agree with you there. That that's kind of what we came up with too, and. You brought him up, so talk to me about Takumi Ito and how awesome he is. I mean, just to – not even just on the water. Like, I don't even talk about his angling skills. I Just as a person, the world needs more Takumi Itos.
2: Oh, he's the best, man. He's just fun. I can't believe he's in his 30s. I don't know if I believe that or not. How can that kid be – I call him a kid, man. He looks like a little Japanese Justin Bieber. (laughs) He's like a little kid, though. He looks – He's such a good guy, though, and he says thank you, and I, he's really respectful. And I remember talking to him when he first started fishing the Opens. I got a cool picture of him. It's still dark. He's getting his stuff ready. and I didn't know it's going to be like the next big thing, though, but, man, I'm telling you, dude, he may be the best Japanese angler we've ever had. I mean, you watch – I mean, he catches them everywhere. I mean, he catches small large largemouth, big fish. I mean, whatever he's got to do, he's getting it done, you know. So – And he's, uh, he's finally getting used to catching big fish. He says he likes to catch two-pounders. <laughs> because he, the big fish, are, they, they hurt him. They're too strong. <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I... – I think, I mean, I think it remains to say whether he's the best. I don't think yeah. because you got guys like talk who won the classic, but what I will say is I think he may be the best communicator. Like really it blows me away. Cause the first time I met him was at one of the meetings in Birmingham when he was joining the elite series and he did 90% of his communication through his wife. You know, he really was not good at English at that time. And now yeah. There's not a soul in the world that doesn't love watching him weigh in.
2: No, and they love watching him fish. I mean, and all this crazy little noises he makes and all when he's fighting fish. <laughs> you know, he's kind of like you know Stevie Wright does that. He's always doing all these goofy, you not know, grunting and groaning, and all, I mean all day he does that for no reason. But anyway, <laughs> I like him, but I, you know he does communicate great. I tell you something interesting. Even when he couldn't speak. His English is so much better now, but early on, you know, they do the Topler's Gallery. Yeah. And so Craig Lamb, you know, one of our senior writers, he's telling me that when he goes to Ito to get his uh, – Ito has everything written down. In like, he said his – he said even though he may not speak great English, he said his writing is immaculate. I mean, he showed it to me, you know, and his, how he's written He's, a, he's an interesting – I like having him around. I like having him here. Um, I think he's going to teach us all a little bit of something. Or yeah. he already has. Thank you. Yeah. It's, just, it's, it's just really cool, man, too, to have somebody that's so respectful of the sport and the people that he fishes against and works around and that sort of thing. I mean, it's good attitude. I like it.
0: Talk to me about that. Well, One of the things that I think is coolest about the elite series, and I talk about it till, you know, uh, I mean, I've probably over-talked about it, but is that feeling amongst the guys? Like there really is. Like we've got an incredible brotherhood of anglers, you know, and and always have, but I just think because so many of them started at the same time, you know what I mean? It, It, And let's be honest, you know, when a lot of them came together for the Elite Series, a lot of them were told by a lot of people that, you know, that they weren't what they were going to try to be. And and I think that that's kind of bonded them all together. Do you feel that, or or is that all stuff I'm making up?
2: Uh, I'll just say this about them. Number one, they're a lot better fishermen than I would than I would have thought. I mean, these man, these guys are good, dude. I mean, they're good. They're good. Y- they're young, and they're good. It's, it's... I can't believe how young some of these guys show up and be. How can you be that good and be that young? Yeah. You know, but that just seems like that's how it's turned out. I guess it's college fishing. You know, they come out of there with a... I mean, man, they got degrees in fishing, but they learn so much. I mean, they're not—they don't have big eyes, they're not intimidated for the most part by the whole thing. Every now and then, you'll have a guy to be a little bit gun shy, but for the most part, um, they all get along great. They're good to work with. They're great fishermen, and uh, man, we got a good group of guys. They're they're just way, way better fishermen than, than than most people would think.
0: Yeah, they're very good. They're very good. You no, know you're good at you're good at you're gonna you're gonna pointing out some fools. So I'd like to finish our segment with, come on, fool, Get, come on, give me on, your food. come on, fool, tell me a come on, fool story to end this all. Like you, you deal with a lot of fools. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> talk about putting a man on the spot.
2: Oh, I got a good one I can't say. <laughs> well, that's the very kind of- <laughs> Oh, no, we're not going to say that one. <laughs> I don't know, Dave, man. You know, just, come on, man. I mean, I just feel like I don't know if I want to dirt nobody right now. I just I'm in too good of a place to be. I don't know. <laughs> All right. I would think the whole field would be like on the top 10 when they sold so I would leave it so they had 42 pounds. I'm, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's what i'd say let's do that one all right i mean come, come on, on man i mean 42 pounds i mean come on
0: come on. you weigh in 31 on the final day of a tournament and don't win come
2: yeah i mean I, you feel like i feel like who was the dude that did it uh come on man in the sleeveless t-shirt oh carter what's his like? what's his The football player chris the receiver carter. who
0: chris carter
2: was that him? Yeah, yeah he did, he did the best. Come on, man, in the sleeveless t-shirt. You can YouTube it. Best <laughs> one.
0: Well, they're, they're watching this. I mean, we don't want them to YouTube it. Well, I was hoping you were going to be as entertaining. I can. I'm going to come on. <laughs> <laughs> James Overstreet, you're awesome. Your tea's almost done. Which means our interview is done. Yeah, that's great, Dave. Thanks. Good to
2: see you. I've good talked to you and kept up with you, but I'm glad you, glad to see you. You look, you look good. Yeah. Glad to see well, all right. Well, come on, uh, come on back to work because we got stuff to do and I ain't got nobody to hang out with. Bowman.
0: Yeah, I know how that is. Come on, man. I mean, come on. You miss some good
2: food. Well, <laughs> Texas dudes come over. We cooked every night down there. Yeah, I that. Yeah, was good. Had some fried, fried some fish. That yeah, was a good time. Well, crappie. We fried crappie, not bass, by the way. In case some of you all people are concerned.
0: All right. Well, your hair looks phenomenal, and I'll see you in a few days.
2: I hope to see you soon.
0: <laughs> see you, brother.
2: If I don't, I'm going to come up here and
0: find you. <laughs> all right, deal. Bye, bud. James Overstreet may have made the greatest analogy for a 10 pound bass in this last interview. I mean, that was freaking awesome. You're right, it is like a seven foot man walking into Walmart, it just looks different i mean dude is awesome want to thank street want to thank ronnie for being part of the show i want to thank you guys for watching this silliness every single wednesday i love this community and i love how this continues to grow make sure to send your feedback make sure to send your questions i'll get you the answers whether it's something i can answer or whether i have to go to an angler and get the answer i will get you the answers let's make this community something that we all love and this is the part that i i mean it's a mediocre show with a mediocre host with some really good guests at times and mediocre technology but we just i need to beg you for likes and love so write reviews on itunes give us thumbs ups share this and sub and all that stuff so i keep wasting hours every week making free content for you on wednesday And I just realized when I rub my leg while I'm talking, it doesn't look like I'm rubbing my leg. I mean, that arm could be doing anything down there, and you never know. That's why you tune in here. Because you never know. I mean, it normally sucks, but you just never know. Next week, it could be better.
2: Thanks for watching. Please like, comment, and subscribe.
0: Because Bob Cobb of the Bassmasters told you to, you hear?